Thanks for watching today. I pray that the message you're about to hear will empower you to use your voice, help change the way you think, and refresh your spirit. If you'd like to follow along with Pastor's Notes, you can find them on the on-demand page of walkingbyfaith.tv or on our app. We're continuing in our series, Complete Trust, with today's message, Supply and Demand. Having faith doesn't mean that we get God to do something for us. Having faith means that we believe that Jesus already paid that price for what we need, and God will supply. Pastor's message is on fire today, so let's dive right in. So I don't want to assume that everybody knows everything. So I want to uh, lay a really good foundation. Uh, and I think some of the things that we're going to say are going to be new for some people. I know they're going to be new. But for the rest of us, I think we don't realize the importance of having to hear things again and again and again. It is really the basics. It's the fundamentals. The Bible talks about the fact that how much we need to meditate. You know, we need to be going over things again and again and putting ourselves in the situation where we're using those truths, putting that Bible application into our lives. And when we hear a truth uh, again and again, that's when it really happens. Faith doesn't come by having heard. It comes by hearing. We, we need to keep it fresh. But Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God, or it's impossible to receive from God without faith. It is an absolute essential. Now, sometimes when people hear the word faith, they're just thinking about the things that you believe. But when the Bible is talking about faith, it's not only something that you hear, but it's something that you're putting into practice. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, it says to fight the good fight of faith. Again, so often people think that Christianity is passive. Christianity is not passive. Christianity is active. Uh, notice that it says you fight the good fight. Right? Christianity is a fight from the womb to the tomb. In other words, you never get to the spot where you have arrived and there's no more fight. There is always a fight in the faith. Jesus said from the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Other translations say they force their way in. So there, there is an active part of Christianity. It is a fight. And again, 2 Thessalonians 1.3 says, because your faith grows exceedingly. Our faith should not be a stagnant thing. It needs to keep on growing. In 2 Peter 1, verse 3, it says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Now, notice it says that his divine power has given in other words, everything that God is ever going to do for you or for me has already been purchased and paid for by Christ. So our faith does not get God to do something. And this is really important because most of us think we're going to believe God and we're going to get God to do something. Like we're going to talk God into something. 
But the truth is, we don't talk God into anything. He's already provided everything. When God prepared redemption in Christ, he thought of everything that pertains to your life and your godly life or your spiritual life. Everything's already been taken care of. And what we need to recognize is what faith does is faith receives the supply that has already been purchased, already paid for, already provided for. It says, has given to us. So the difference, I would say, is kind of like this in, in, uh, in warfare. If you're on the high ground and you've already got the ground, it's different than if you're on the low spot and you're trying to take the high ground. So we can say it this way. You are not the sick who's trying to get healed. You are the healed who the devil's trying to get sick. You are not the depressed trying to get to a place of peace and joy and victory. You are the person with peace and joy and victory who the devil is trying to get depressed. And it makes all the difference in the world when you're on the high ground and you've already got it and you're being attacked or you see yourself as somebody who's trying to receive something to get to a place, but don't realize that you've already got it. Now, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says again, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, the 17th verse says that it is entirely by faith. It is from faith to faith. So it's entirely by faith. The gospel is entirely received by faith. And notice it says from faith to faith, which means this, that the faith that we have starting out is not enough to get us to the destiny that God has for us. We need to continue to grow in faith in order to get to the place that God has for us, his plan, his destiny. But it says that the gospel is the power. The gospel is the power of God. Now, there are literally, there are groups of people that believe that prayer is the power of God. I'm for prayer. I believe in prayer. But prayer is not the power of God. I believe in praise. I believe in worship. But praise and worship are not the power of God. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. Now, uh, I actually have uh, Dr. Schofield's notes here, and I think it's very interesting. Uh, those of you that have, have studied dispensationalism know that, that uh, Dr. Schofield is the number one proponent of, of extreme dispensationalism, which means this, that God had an early church and then there's the late church. And either some people say, you know, when the last apostle died, well, then God stopped doing miracles. Or when we finally received the, the full uh, canon of scripture, God stopped doing miracles. Now, Dr. Schofield is the number one proponent of that. But I just think it's so funny that in his notes, in his, Bible, in his study Bible, he contradicts himself. So what that means is that he actually probably 
in some way believes Jude, the third verse, which says that the faith was given once for all to the saints. That the faith that they had in the first century is the same faith that we have today. The gospel they had in the first century is the same gospel we have today. That Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because so many people in the church believe Jesus is the same yesterday and forever. It used to be wonderful, it's gonna be wonderful, but right now, Christianity sucks. It's just bad because God's not doing anything. It used to be great, it's gonna be great. But the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Dr. Schofield says about the word salvation, that the gospel is the power of. It's the Hebrew and Greek words for salvation imply the ideas of deliverance, safety, preservation, healing, soundness. Salvation is the great inclusive word of the gospel gathering into itself all the redemptive acts and processes such as justification, redemption, grace, propitiation, imputation, forgiveness, sanctification, and glorification. So the gospel, it is the power of God. So what that means is this. This is the best way I know how to say this. That the same power that was present in the event is also available and present when you believe the gospel. When you believe the message, the same power that was in the event, in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that same power that was there is also available when you believe the message. And salvation is not just die and go to heaven. It's deliverance, safety, preservation, healing, and soundness. It's all inclusive. And again, Romans 3, verse 23 says, but by the law of faith. We began talking about that a little bit last week, that faith is a law. Well, faith works by laws. Now, people have the idea that God basically can just do whatever he wants to do because he's God. And in one sense, that's true. But in another sense, it's not true because God has limited himself. And he limited himself, I would say this, by his word, by the laws that he put into operation. Um, if, if, if you drop a brick a hundred times, it falls a hundred times because of the law of gravity. If it only worked 99 times out of 100, it would be a phenomenon. But because it works every time, every time, it's a law. And just like there's laws in the natural realm, there's laws in the spiritual realm. But God has limited himself. In Psalms 138, verse 2, you have magnified your word above all your name. Now, it says in Hebrews that by two immutable things... Now, those are two immutable things. God wants us to know for sure. So, so let me just read this, Hebrews chapter six. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them the end of all dispute. So you, you make an oath. In fact, like if you're going into a court of law, it used to be you'd put your hand on the Bible 
and you would lift your other hand and, and you would swear that you're going to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that would settle it. Okay, this testimony is going to be true. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it with an oath. So God swore. And because there was nobody greater to swear by, he swore by himself. How many have ever heard somebody say, as God is my witness? Somebody says that, as God is my witness. They're saying, look, this is the truth. Well, God swore, but there was nobody greater to swear by, so he just swore by himself. He just says, because I'm God, and I'm God, and I'm saying that this is true. So he swore, and then there's the other immutable thing that God cannot lie. So he swore by himself that what he was saying was true. And then you know it because he cannot lie. So God sets forth things in his word, and he says it this way in Psalms 89, my covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. So God has limited himself, but by his word. People say you never know what God's going to do. Like, God's schizophrenic. And, and in the morning, he might just decide to have the sun rise in the west. Or he'll just turn gravity off. No, 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 no. The, in the natural, we understand that. When there is a plane crash and the Federal Aviation Association comes and checks out the plane crash trying to determine what happened, this is what they never say. Gravity spiked. Gravity just spiked. Why? Because gravity's a law. And it's the same all the time. And the same thing is true about God's word. God has sworn by himself. And he says, I won't break it. I won't alter the word that's gone forth out of my mouth. He says, you can trust what I have said. So going back, Genesis chapter one. Then God said, let us. Now, there, there's different explanations about the us. Uh, some theologians say the us is God saying myself and the angels are going to make man in our image. But that really doesn't work because, first of all, there's no place in Scripture where you see angels creating. And also, he says they're going to be in our image. The us speaks of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In our image, according to our likeness. So what, what makes man valuable, when I say man, I'm talking about mankind, because the Bible says he created them male and female in his image. Both male and female are created in the image of God. But what makes a child or even an unborn child precious is the fact that they are created in the likeness and in the image of God. So we're created according to his image and his likeness. And he said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we're created in God's likeness and God's image. Now, this is Genesis chapter one. And about the only thing that we've seen God do so far is God said, let there be light. And there was light. God is creating. 
And the way that God is creating is he's creating by speaking, right? And once you remember, you're created in the image and in the likeness of God. You see, your words are powerful. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, verse 21, that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Genesis chapter 2, verse 19 says, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam had dominion and God brings him all these animals and whatever he calls them, whatever he says about them, that's who they are. That's their name. Now, the same is true about your words. You, you, you speak to situations. In fact, if you look at Jesus, I mean, you know, Jesus spoke to trees. He spoke to wind. He spoke to the waves. He spoke to sickness and disease and demons and storms. And Jesus spoke. And that's how he used the authority and the dominion that he had. And it's the same thing that you and I are supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be using our words. Uh, what you have to say about depression, about fear, about defeat, about addiction. I think so many of us are hung by the tongue. When God created man, he put him in the garden, Genesis 2.15. And he put him in that garden, the Bible says, to tend, to guard, and to keep. To tend, to guard, and to keep. Now, who was he guarding the garden from? Who was he to keep out of the garden? Well, the answer to that is Satan. In Psalms 115, verse 16, the heavens, even the heavens are the Lord, but the earth he has given to the children of men. So, so God gave Adam and Eve authority. He gave them dominion. And they were supposed to use that authority in that dominion. Now, the same thing is true with you and I. The Bible says he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think according to the power that's at work in us. According to the power that's at work in who? Us. So we have authority. We have dominion. What Adam was supposed to do when the devil showed up, he was supposed to guard. He was supposed to keep the garden and the earth. He should have kicked Jesus, excuse Jesus, no, excuse me. He should have kicked the devil out because that's what Jesus did. When the devil showed up, when Jesus was in the desert, what did Jesus do? He kicked him out. So literally, what the first Adam lost in a garden, the last Adam, Jesus, kept in the garden. The Bible says to you and I, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse nine says, resist him, steadfast in the faith. Now notice, he's seeking whom he may devour. Who does the devil devour? He devours Christians that are passive. He devours ignorant people, people that act like the devil does not exist. He devours but the devil, I, I, how can I say this? He's alive and he's a well on planet Earth. He's not hiding in the jungles of South America or Asia or Africa. 
He's around. Now, Acts 10, verse 38, says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Jesus healed all who were oppressed of the devil. Uh, It's amazing how many Christians today assume that anything that happens to their family, happens to their finances, happens to their body, they just assume that it's God. This is what God is doing. Now, unfortunately, what a lot of people do is they, they take their advice from Job. Now, if you read the book of Job, the devil goes out and literally attacks his finances, his family, his marriage, and his body. But Job didn't know. Job didn't know. And Job said, the Lord gave, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The interesting thing is when God shows up, the first thing that God says to Job is, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, here's what God said. If you listen to Job, you will walk in darkness. That's what God said. But most Christians get their doctrine from Job. Now, the Bible says everybody Jesus healed. It wasn't God that caused it. It was ultimately could be traced back to the devil and to the fall. Now, when Jesus is being tempted by the, by the devil, he says, you know, make these stones into bread. And Jesus said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The devil takes him up on a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whomsoever I wish. Now, if this is a lie, there's no temptation. The devil said, I have authority over all of the kingdoms of the world. And if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give it to you. And notice he says, because it has been delivered to me. Who gave Satan that authority? Who gave him that dominion? The answer is Adam and Eve, because God gave it to them. When God created Adam and Eve, they were his under rulers. We could say that Adam was the prince of this world. So let me give you a few terms that the Bible uses for Satan in the New Testament. John 14, verse 30. Jesus said, the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. He's talking about Satan. He calls him the ruler of this world. Ephesians 2, verse 2. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the, in the sons of disobedience. Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. 2 Corinthians 4.14, whose mind the God of this age has blinded so that they do not believe. Speaking of Satan, he's called the God of this age. And of course, uh, 1 John chapter 5 says that the whole world lies under the power, the sway of the wicked one. Speaking of the devil. Yet most people assume that everything that happens is what God wants to happen. Again, going back to the book of Job, I was actually reading in my, my uh, Bible reading this morning. I, I was Part of my reading was in the book of Job. 
and I came across the, the ninth chapter. And let, let, me, let me read this to you, because this is so interesting. Um, you read the book of Job, and Satan, the Bible's third physician, Satan goes out and smote Job with solar boils from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. Satan was the one that attacked him in every way. Job 9, 21, I am blameless, yet I do not know myself. I despise my life. Now, now by the way, when you believe that God is the problem, you are going to be depressed. He actually says, I despise my life. He says, it's all one thing. Therefore, I say he, God, destroys the blameless and the wicked. If the scourge slays suddenly, he laughs at the plight of the innocent. The earth is given into the hands of the wicked. He covers the faces of his judges. And if it isn't he, who else could it be? I love the Spanish translation, which says, si no es el, quien es y donde está? The Spanish translation says, well, if it's not him, if it's not God, who is it and where is he? And where is he? Well, the answer is it's the devil. That's who it is. And where is he? He goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He cannot devour just anybody. He has to find somebody who's passive or somebody who's ignorant. Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. Thus, death spread to all men because all have sinned. Who brought death? The devil. In fact, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, is so, excuse, 12, chapter 2 is so clear. It says, destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Who had the power of death? That is the, the devil. That is the devil. When sin and the devil came into the world, death, sickness, disease, war, depression, famine, pandemics, prejudice, Every evil thing you can think of came into the world when the devil came into the world. See, in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, before the devil shows up, everything's perfect. Revelation 20, verse 10, says that the devil is thrown, in, in the, is thrown into the bottomless pit where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Next chapter. And God will wipe every tear away from their eyes, and there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Before the devil shows up, everything's perfect. Once he's gone, everything's perfect again. Is that pretty clear? The devil is the problem. James 1, verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift, comes down from the Father of light in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. If it's good, if it's perfect, it comes from God. And by the way, there is no variation with God. God does not have blue Mondays. God does not have days that he's in a bad mood. There is no variation, not even a shadow of turning. Jesus said the thief that's the devil. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Luke chapter 13, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, which he would do every, every Sabbath that he'd be going to the synagogue. And it says, behold, there was a woman who had a spirit 
of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. Now, this particular instance, not every, every sickness is a demon, but in this particular case, she had a spirit of infirmity. It was caused by an evil spirit. When Jesus called, saw her, he called her to himself and said to her, woman, you're loosed from your infirmity. He laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days in which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath. The Lord then answered and said to him, hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his donkey or his ox from the stall and lead him away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. Now, Jesus said the, the infirmity was not something that God caused. It was ultimately caused by a demonic spirit. Now, I want to say it again. Every sickness is not a demon. And somebody said, well, what about doctors? We love doctors. If it wasn't for doctors, most Christians would be dead. <laughs> the Bible is not in any way against medicine and doctors. But we do need to realize that there is an enemy, the devil, and he comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And today, you and I, as believers, are supposed to demonstrate Satan's defeat. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work in us. Now, let me just say this. It's his power. It's his power. But it's at work in us. In Ephesians uh, the first chapter, Paul is praying for the church. And uh, let me read just a couple of verses. By having the eyes of your heart flooded with light so that you can know and understand the hope to which he has called you. How rich is his glorious inheritance in the saints. And so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe. What is that power? It's in and for us who believe. I think I mentioned last week, if we come into this building at seven o'clock in the morning and it's dark, we do not call the power company and say, send power, send power. Now they've already sent the power. We just need to go and flip the switch. God has already sent the power. It says it's at work in you and for you who believe. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they, that's us. We overcome him, that's the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. So, so literally, there is no overcoming victory without the word of our testimony. We are to fight the good fight of faith, not to be passive, not sitting back with a, well, lo que sera, sera, what's ever going to happen is going to happen. That is not at all what the Bible teaches. Let me just close with this. Mark 11, 
verse 23. Jesus has cursed the fig tree. It died. Verse 22, he says, have faith in God. And we're, we're going to get to this scripture eventually. But Jesus said, verily I say unto you, that whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things that he saith will come to pass. He'll have whatsoever he saith. Now listen, if it was up to God whether the mountain stayed or the mountain left, Jesus would have never told you to speak to that mountain and that that mountain would move if you spoke to that mountain and believed in your heart and did not doubt. Jesus said, that mountain will obey you. And uh, so often we're waiting for God to do something. But God is saying, I have given you authority. And that authority is inside you. It's according to the power that works in us. But we need to turn the switch on. We need to begin to use the authority that God has given us. And we need to begin to speak to that situation, speak to that mountain, speak to that sickness. We need to begin to speak and to say, because death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. The Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. It's a fight. You speak, you stand. The Bible says to resist the enemy. How do you do it? You do it with your words. From the days of John the Baptist, Jesus said, until now, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force or the violent force their way in. Now, Jesus said, fear not, little flock, because your father desires to give you the kingdom. God is not withholding the kingdom, but there is an enemy who tries to keep us from possessing the kingdom. Just like the children of Israel came into the promised land and there were enemies that they needed to, dis, to, to, to dispossess in the same way in the Christian life, for you to live the victorious Christian life, that abundant life that Jesus wants every one of us to live, we need to dispossess the enemy that will try to stand in the way of every blessing that God wants there to be in your life, in your home, in your marriage. So I want to thank you for being with us today, but I want to ask you a question before we close. I want to ask if you're right with God. You know, some of us, we, we'd lived for God at one point, but we've drifted away from God. And others, you don't know where you stand with God. But the Bible says this. It says, know that you have everlasting life. We're not supposed to die and find out if we make it to heaven. We're supposed to know now that we're forgiven, right with God, and on our way to heaven. And if you don't know that, you're not where you should be with God. So if you're that person who's away from God, or you're the person who says, I don't know where I stand with God, or I want to be right with God, I want to pray a prayer with you. The Bible says, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, we're going to call on his name the way the Bible tells us to. And if you pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. You are going to be saved. You are going to be on your way to heaven. I want you to make these words your own. Just say this out loud. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my King. Jesus is my Lord, and I will live for Him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm forgiven, 
a part of your family today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer from your heart, please, please, I wrote a book that'll help you keep on growing spiritually. And I want to give you that book absolutely free of charge. All the information is right there on your screen. You can download the book. Or if you need a hard copy, if you'll contact us, we will get you that hard copy. Hey, we love you and God bless you. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, you are making one of the best decisions of your life. We are so excited for you. Just as Pastor said, we'd love to send you a free copy of his book, Your New Life. Log on to walkingbyfaith.tv and have it mailed to you. Or you can download it right there instantly. It's absolutely free and a great resource for you to have. We believe that when you confess God's word over your life daily and you begin to meditate on it, it will change your life. There's a new section on our app called Confessions. You can listen to them daily, read along, or you can write them on your mirror. It's right there on the home screen. You can download the Walking by Faith app in your favorite app store. Walking by Faith is reaching the world with the truth of God's word on and off the air. If this ministry is blessing you and feeding you spiritually, please consider becoming a partner with us by going to walkingbyfaith.tv give. Find us on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and on your favorite social platform by searching WBF TV. Be sure to download our app where you can listen to all past sermons, submit a prayer request, download the Your New Life book, as well as other resources and much more. Remember to exercise that muscle of faith throughout the week, and you are going to start to see big changes. Until next time, be blessed.